0: Today on Golden Girls Sports, Dorothy proves her football chops and two NFL legends prove they're more than just gridiron animals. Marcus Allen, Mike Tyson, extra innings, the tight end decoys. So it looks like we're running a draw play. Magic Johnson, Bobby Old, Tampa Bay Bucks. And they off the pig takes the lead. The chicken... Premiering on October 27th, 1990, Feelings was the sixth episode of the show's sixth season. It was written by Don Siegel and Jerry Perzigian and directed by Matthew Diamond. The A story of Feelings centers around Dorothy, who finally gets a teaching job for an entire semester. The bad news is that she might give a failing grade to a star football player, keeping him out of an upcoming championship game. If you've been paying attention, yes, this is the second episode in two seasons in which Dorothy is preventing a kid from playing football. Dorothy is feeling the pressure from the coaches, school administrators, and even her roommates to give quarterback Kevin a passing grade. The parade starts with coach Odlovak, who drops by the house to convince her. <laughs> Look, that's my decision. Goodbye, Coach. All right, all right, all right. I'll tell you what. I'll sweeten the pot. You let Kevin play this weekend, and I'll take you out Saturday night. (laughs) You haven't read the art of the deal, have you, Coach? Uh, Moving on. Even the dean, Father O'Mara puts the screws to Dorothy on Kevin's behalf while also running into a familiar name he's heard before. Father, this is my mother, Sophia Petrillo, my roommate, Blanche Devereaux. Blanche Devereaux, I've heard quite a bit about you. (laughs) All good, I hope. I'm sorry, I can't reveal things learned in confession. (laughs) What I'm trying to say to you, Dorothy, is I truly believe that He would want Kevin to play on Saturday. Really? I had no idea that he took such an interest in uh, high school football. Oh, yes, he likes all sports, even gymnastics. And I'm told you're quite the (laughs) gymnast. Dorothy remains steadfast in her conviction until a fish wrapped in newspaper with an ominous message written on it is left on their doorstep. She then agrees to make a deal with Kevin, offering to tutor him after school and give him an incomplete grade, which would allow him to play. But Kevin's only interested in learning after football season is done and storms out without agreeing. And so he plays. And he gets hurt. And who comes to visit him in the hospital? His new English tutor. I'm sorry about your knee. You know, you wouldn't have been blindsided if you'd stayed in the pocket. You know football? I know everything. (laughs) In a way, Kevin's kind of lucky. Even Audible.com doesn't have A Tale of Two Cities read by B. Arthur on it. And if anyone from Audible is listening and would like to sponsor the show, please email me. Don Siegel and Jerry Perzigian would get seven more Golden Girls scripts produced over the final two seasons— including the two-part series finale. Siegel, who along with Perzigian was a longtime writer and executive producer on The Jeffersons before coming to work on The Golden Girls, said that Coach Odlovak was based on a real and apparently insane coach with the same name back in his hometown of Niles, Ohio. Quote, Odlovac coached high school football and baseball for decades, and everyone was afraid of him. He would do anything to win a championship. I was a terrible student in math and science, but he would intervene with my teachers. One time, he threatened my algebra teacher, saying, "You pass him, or I'll kick your ass." It was so extreme, I was really embarrassed, but it worked because somehow, despite my grades, I went downstate to play in the championship. End quote. The fake coach Idlovac was played by actor Robert Costanzo, who has had a prolific career playing mostly cops and/or crooks with prominent New York accents. He started out with small roles in Dog Day Afternoon, The Goodbye Girl, and Saturday Night Fever, and has racked up over 270 additional credits, including Hill Street Blues, Family Ties, and NYPD Blue, and in movies like Total Recall, Honeymoon in Vegas, and 61, in which he played New York restaurant institution Toots Shore. His biggest role might have been as Joey Tribbiani Sr. on both Friends and on Matt LeBlanc's short-lived spinoff series, Joe. Kevin, the failing quarterback, was played by Christopher Daniel Barnes, who was just 17 at the time the episode was shot. Barnes was a regular on the Starman TV series and the show Day by Day before being on the Golden Girls, and has had big movie roles since, playing Greg on both Brady Bunch films and voicing Prince Eric in Disney's The Little Mermaid. Costanzo and Barnes share another thing that has absolutely nothing to do with the Golden Girls or sports at all. Both lent their voices to cartoon superhero shows in the 1990s, with Barnes starring as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man from 1994 to 1998, and Costanzo originating the role of Detective Harvey Bullock on Batman the Animated Series in 1992. Both have done a ton of other voice work over the years. Costanzo did Bullock on other DC animated shows, as well as working on Disney's Hercules, The Fairly Oddparents, and Family Guy. Barnes has been on Jackie Chan Adventures, 2 directed video Cinderella sequels, and is now back in the Spider-Man universe, voicing Electro on Ultimate Spider-Man. And both have also done voices in Kingdom Hearts video games as well. Dorothy shows that she knows her football in a couple of other episodes, too. In Season 2's Family Affair, written by Winifred Hervey, Dorothy's son Michael and Rose's daughter Bridget both happen to visit the house on Richmond Street on the same day. The two kids seem to be direct opposites at first, but after being set up on a date by Blanche, they get caught in bed together, which doesn't sit well with their mothers. My son is not a loser. He happens to be very talented. Yes, at taking advantage of poor young girls. You see, you both agree he does have talent. (laughs) Rose, face it, your daughter moves faster than Marcus Allen. (laughs) I can't face it. I don't even know who Marcus Allen is. (laughs) When this episode aired in November of 1986, Rose might have been one of the few people in America who didn't know who Marcus Allen was. The previous regular season had been the finest in the running back's Hall of Fame career. Allen was named the 1985 NFL MVP after leading the league with 1,759 yards rushing, 2,314 yards in scrimmage, and scoring 14 total touchdowns for the then Los Angeles Raiders. In 1983, he scored five touchdowns in three playoff games, leading L.A. to a rout of Washington in the Super Bowl and earning himself a Super Bowl MVP award. He played 16 seasons for the Raiders and Chiefs, most of them outstanding, and is the only football player in history to win NFL MVP, a Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, an NCAA championship, and a Heisman Trophy. Those last two he won at USC, where he followed in the footsteps of his idol, OJ Simpson. Allen's relationship with Simpson is way too complicated for us to tackle here. Allen was enshrined in Canton in 2003 and has gone on to a post-football career doing color analysis and commercials. Family Affair was the first of three appearances as Michael's Bornack for actor Scott Jacoby. And not only was it Marilyn Jones' only appearance as Bridget Nyland, but it was Bridget's only appearance on the show at all. In Season 5's Comedy of Errors, Dorothy is saddened by the death of an old classmate that she had recently reconnected with. As she flips through her old high school yearbook, she finds other friends who had passed away, including a former athlete she knew. I can't believe how many of my classmates are gone. Mm. I mean, look, Frank Bonatardi, tight end on the football team, Mm. heart attack, dead. Well, Dorothy, don't think of it as Frank being Uh, dead. Just think of it as God telling Frank to go deep. (laughs) Uh, David Brittingham? What happened to him? God told David to drive into a wall at 80 miles an hour. (laughs) Comedy of Errors premiered on November twenty fifth, 1989, and was the only Golden Girls script for writer Don Rio, but he has had a very successful producing career, beginning with Private Benjamin in the early 80s. He also created and produced Blossom for NBC in 1990 under the umbrella of Golden Girls production company Wit Thomas. Rio later shepherded The John LaRiquette Show, My Wife and Kids, and most recently Netflix's The Ranch. Interestingly, Dorothy's now dead classmate, Frank Bonatardi, shares a last name with Blossom's boyfriend, Vinnie Bonatardi. I wonder if it's Don Rio's mother's maiden name or something. As Blanche notes twice in feelings, she is acutely aware of how serious this football business is. Dorothy, why don't you pass the kid so he can play? I doubt if the Canterbury Tales is going to come up in a huddle. <laughs> I agree, Dorothy. Saturday's game is a big one. And speaking as a former cheerleader and ex-bad girl in a health film, I can tell you the importance of school-sanctioned extracurricular activities. Dorothy, I don't think you realize the significance of football in the South. I've had men break dates with me to go to football games. Don't worry. We'll have an entire episode dedicated to Blanche's high school cheerleading career soon. But there's no doubt that she cares about football. She cares so much, in fact, that she organizes a trip to see a former gridiron great in what would have been the role of a lifetime. We're Outta Here is the two-part finale of season four. It's also one of the Golden Girls' many clip shows, and was written by Mort Nathan and Barry Finaro. The episode opens with the girls returning from an afternoon at the local playhouse. This was a lovely afternoon. Oh, I'll say. I just love the legitimate theater. You know, I missed Mr. Lee J. Cobb in Death of a Salesman. I missed Mr. Marlon Brando and Streetcar Named Desire. Well, I was damned if I was going to miss Mr. Dick Butkus and Pal Joey. (laughs) Pal Joey is a 1940 musical about a rakish singer whose drive to open up his own nightclub leads him into a messy love triangle. The Rogers and Hart written show's most famous musical export is probably the song Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. And main character Joey Evans has been played by the likes of Gene Kelly, Bob Fosse, Joel Gray, and in the 1950 movie version, Frank Sinatra. The setting for the film was San Francisco, but the original play took place in Chicago. And although his acting career never ventured into musical theater, there's no athlete who personified the Windy City more than Football Hall of Famer Dick Butkus. He was born in Chicago, played college football at the University of Illinois, and went right from the Illini to the Bears, where he was selected third overall in the 1965 NFL draft. Butkus spent the next nine seasons wreaking havoc on the NFL, revolutionizing the middle linebacker position and absolutely terrorizing quarterbacks like a rabid animal. His intensity was his trademark, but you could choose from a list of similar adjectives to describe him. Enthusiastic, tenacious, relentless, or just plain nasty. Quote, when I went out on the field to warm up, I would manufacture things to make me mad. If someone on the other team was laughing, I'd pretend he was laughing at me or the Bears. I'd find something to get mad about. It always worked for me. End quote. Unfortunately, despite Buckus's greatness on defense, the Bears as a whole weren't very good during his era. He never played in a playoff game, and lots of great plays were lost in the shuffle of seasons with records like 5 7 2, 1 13, 4 9 1, and 3 and 11. Still, Despite his team's struggles, Butkus was named to eight Pro Bowls, five first All-Pro teams, and was judged in a 1970 poll of NFL coaches to be the player they would most like to build a team around. In 1979, he was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But While his reputation on the field was brutish, Butkus was no mere brute. He bristled at the idea that a football player can't also be a talking, thinking human being as well. He told Sports Illustrated's Robert F. Jones in 1970, quote, it makes me sad sometimes. Nobody thinks I can talk, let alone write my name. Last year, I cut a record of Shakespeare quotes. You know, a parody. Like, once more into the breach, my friends. The record company said it was too good. Not enough D's, dem, and does. What the hell is society doing to people? I did what it told me I could do. I wasn't a freak. I didn't have an identity crisis. End quote. While he was still playing, Buckus began doing on-camera work in serial commercials and an ad for Prestone Antifreeze that ran during Monday Night Football. I'm Dick Butkus Plug and Holes is my business Plug and Holes is Prestone's business too Prestone Anti-Leak Antifreeze It's got a protection plan that's ironclad Preston will stop most minor leaks anywhere in your cooling system Or write Union Carbide for your money back So when it comes to Plug and Holes Get Prestone with the ironclad protection plan He also portrayed himself in Brian's song the Emmy-winning James Caan, Billy D. Williams TV movie about the death of his Bears teammate, Brian Piccolo. After he retired in 1970 following a string of unbearable injuries, Butkus' acting portfolio started to grow. He started doing cameo roles on action shows like Emergency, Macmillan and Wife, The Six Million Dollar Man, and The Rockford Files, in which he played uh, Dick Butkus again. From there, he went on to recurring roles on Blue Thunder, Half Nelson, MacGyver, My Two Dads, and perhaps most famously, Saturday afternoon staple Hangtime, where he played coach Mike Katowinski. Okay, so he specialized in coaches, athletes, and ex-athletes. But that hasn't stopped Butkus from racking up a ton of credits in TV, movies, and commercials. There were ads for McDonald's and Chevy trucks, and of course, the series of Miller light spots he did with other ex-jocks Bubba Smith, Deacon Jones, Boom Boom Jeffreon, Billy Martin, Boog Powell, and about a million other guys just goofing around with Rodney Dangerfield. Quote, these commercials at Miller's show me more like the person I am. I'm a practical joker and I like dry humor. I'm not mean or anything like I was portrayed on the field. End quote. In a video for the Bears' website, Butkus said his wife's favorite role of his might have been that of Brom Bones in a TV version of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow that ran in 1980 and starred a young Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane. In 1999, he played a football coach in Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday and a couple of years later took a real-life front office position in Vince McMahon's ill-fated XFL experiment. Today, at 74, Butkus' acting career is in his rearview mirror, too. But he remains an NFL legend and a Chicago icon. He also has a hospital wing with his name on it. The Dick Butkus Heart and Vascular Screening Center at St. Joseph Hospital in Orange, California is where the one-time football Ironman got a scan that saved his life in 2001 he's now a dedicated advocate for promoting electron beam computed tomography scans that can diagnose potentially deadly calcium buildups in a person's arteries. It's a bit like tackling Fran Tarkenton or Johnny Unitas just as the play was starting to develop the way he used to. In 1970, he explained, quote, I can see it all about to happen. At the key moment, the instant of the snap, I somehow know, most of the time, just how the flow pattern will develop. It's all there in the backdrop. I stare, I don't know, Right through the center and the quarterback, right through their eyes. I watch for the keys, and there are very tiny keys, believe me tiny little twitches of their shoulders or their heads or their feet and eyes. There's just this split second before it all starts to move when you put those keys together and you damn well know how it's going. End quote. If you grew up in the 80s like I did, you probably remember Dick Butkus more as an occasional actor that once played football rather than a legendary football player that later became an actor. Same goes for his contemporaries, like Bubba Smith, Rosie Greer, O.J. Simpson, Fred Dreyer, and Merlin Olsen. Olsen, too, was mentioned on The Golden Girls, only not in the football sense. In part one of Sophia's Wedding, written by Nathan and Infanero, Sophia refuses to come out of the bathroom until Dorothy blesses her marriage to Max Weinstock, an old friend from Brooklyn. Rose and Blanche are the first on the scene, and frankly, they aren't helpful. Well, where'd she go? The wedding's about to start! Is that you, Sophia? No, it's Merlin Olson. I'm watering my forget-me-not bouquet. By 1988, Merlin Olson had spent almost as much time on TV as he had on the football field, and the commercials for FTD flower delivery were just one reason why. He was drafted third overall by the Los Angeles Rams out of Utah State, where he won the Outland Trophy as the country's best interior lineman. From there, he became an integral member of the Rams legendary defensive line of the mid-60s known as the Fearsome Force. Olsen, Deacon Jones, Rosie Greer, and Lamar Lundy were hell on opposing offensive lines and literally invented the concept of the quarterback sack. In his 15 NFL seasons, Olsen made the Pro Bowl 14 times, including his rookie year, and is considered one of the best defensive players in NFL history. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1982. Starting in the early 70s, the highly intelligent and remarkably bearded Olsen embarked on a career on camera. He first did bit parts on Petticoat Junction and Kung Fu, but was soon a regular on Little House on the Prairie as Charles Ingalls' friend Jonathan Garvey. After four years on Little House, Olson got his own show, starring as the eponymous Father Murphy for two seasons. He also played the title role in Aaron's Way, a 1988 show about an Amish family that moves to California to take over a winery. Fans of Mystery Science Theater 3000 will know Merlin Olsen as Martin Balsam's turtleneck wearing henchman in the Joe Don Baker non classic Mitchell. All the while, he also called NFL and college games mostly alongside longtime partner Dick Enberg. Olsen also did color commentary for five Super Bowls and nine Rose Bowls from 1978 to 1990. But those ubiquitous FTD commercials might be his most memorable TV appearances. He started doing them in 1983 and chose the company because they didn't portray him as a dumb jock. Quote, What I like about this is that in only one of the commercials is there any reference to me as a football player. And what I also like is that the commercial shows you don't have to be a softie to give or receive flowers. Too often, the people in advertising are not creative enough to get away from those stereotypes. End quote. Olson would know. He used his off-seasons to earn a master's degree in economics during his playing career. Do you know someone who's feeling a little down? Send them an FTD pick-me-up bouquet. It's flowers, rainbow coffee mug, and tote bag are the perfect way to get them feeling back on solid ground again. And only your FTD florist has it. In 2010, Merlin Olson passed away from mesothelioma, a form of lung cancer brought on by exposure to asbestos. A year later, his family settled a lawsuit against a group of companies they believed led Olsen to contract the disease after working on asbestos-laden construction sites as a young man. But his unique legacy in football, broadcasting, and flower delivery will never be forgotten. Despite the football parts taking up, like, 90% of the scenes, Feelings might best be known as the episode in which Rose is sexually assaulted by her dentist while under nitrous oxide. That's obviously a very serious subject but it gets treated with a lot of humor, possibly because the dentist is played by George Weiner, who's best known as Colonel Sanders in Mel Brooks' Spaceballs and as the dour divorce lawyer in Fletch. I'd like to say the jokes kind of muddy the message a little bit, but here I am 30 years later, and I totally remember seeing this episode when it first ran, so I guess their point was made. This is why I'm not an actor or a screenwriter or a director. It's a little unclear how Kevin plays in the game at the end. If he was going to play anyway, why put Dorothy through all that grief? She says in the hospital that he agreed to the tutoring after the season was over, and his injury basically means that it is. Still, it feels like a scene is missing somewhere in there. But it's a good episode with good jokes, and it has B. Arthur standing up for her principles, which she was able to do almost better than anybody on TV. My wife is probably sick of me pointing out that Christopher Daniel Barnes voiced Spider Man, and Robert Costanzo is also Harvey Bullock, but I just can't help it. That's it for the first season of Golden Girls Sports. We'll be back in a few weeks to analyze even more sports jokes from the show, including bits on ice skating, marathon running, exercising, cheerleading, log rolling, and lots and lots of horse racing. Plus, we might throw in a few extra surprises along the way. If you enjoy Golden Girls Sports, please spread the word any way you can about it and leave us a very nice review on iTunes. It takes just a few minutes, and it really does help raise the visibility of the podcast on what's really the only chart that matters. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back soon. Golden Girls Sports is written, produced, and narrated by Dan Saracini. The theme is Golden Sunrise, instrumental version, by Josh Woodward, and is available at freemusicarchive.org. Visit goldengirlssportspodcast.com for show notes and references, and follow us on Twitter at GoldenGirlsSP. Thanks for listening.